I am uh, so glad to be here with you folks this morning, freezing my butt off in Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. It's very cold, but um, <laughs> this is my first time to the peg. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite uh, an experience. I, as he said, I'm a fellow Canuck, so I have an appreciation for maple syrup and hockey. And uh, do you guys drink maple syrup by the gallon out here? No? Okay, great. So, yeah. But, um, but it's, yeah, Winnipeg's such a, a, a great place. Um, again, aside from the weather, it's, it's a great place. No, apparently your summers are really nice. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's good. Maybe I'll come again during, during the summer. So, uh, <laughs> but definitely never again during the winter. Okay. But anyways, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, anyways, I'm just so grateful that, um, I have the privilege and, and, uh, pleasure of being here this morning with your church. Yesterday, I did some leadership sessions and, uh, met some of your leaders and it was just a great time. And, uh, how many people here know that you have a great pastor? Come on, Pastor Jerry's awesome. Let's give it up. I have, I have really loved talking to Pastor Jerry, meeting his family, meeting his son Jordan and, and the staff. And they're just great people. They love you so much. They really do care about you. And, uh, and so you should just really uh, appreciate um, where you are this morning. But um, before we get into the message, let's just uh, have a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for this time. Thank you for this people. Thank you for where we are here in, in Winnipeg. Thank you for the plans and the thoughts that you have for this congregation, for these people. Lord, I pray that as your word goes out this morning, there would be people here that would receive it in truth, receive it in faith, receive it with an open heart. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what only you can do, which is convict us, show us where we can change, show us where we can transform to be transformed in a greater way into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just want to lift you up this morning. Jesus, you said that if we lift you up, you will draw all men to yourself. And so, we thank you that you are faithful to that promise. And so I pray as, we pre as I preach the word this morning, you would just be glorified and adored and praised because you are worthy of all our worship. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, come on, give me an American amen. Everybody said, amen. there we go. There we go. I've lived in the States. <laughs> I've lived in the States for 10 years. And so um, I've, I've kind of picked up some of their boisterousness. But I want you to know, uh, wh when I come to Canada, I typically say, look, you guys have permission to say amen, all right? Because Canadians need permission. They just do. You know, it's a part of our society. We're very polite. We don't want to get anybody offended or anything like that. But yes, you, get, you have permission to laugh, to clap, to say amen, and, uh, and respond that way. Okay, great. So has anybody ever... Um, has anybody ever been to like an awkward uh, dinner party? 
Anybody? An awkward, like, like get-together where there's a bunch of people that you don't know and, uh, and you're the only one there and all you want to do is grab your phone and start playing Candy Crush or uh, I play Words with Friends and um, I just dominate that game. So, but, you, you know, this, uh, this kind of awkwardness that happens when you don't know people uh, and it's your first time meeting them. My, my childhood was kind of like full of those uh, situations. Uh, you know, my dad being a pastor, as Pastor Jerry mentioned, growing up in the church, my dad and mom really loved people. And so they would uh, continually like bring people back to our house after church on Sunday um, or after anything, any event whatsoever, people would be coming back to our house. And so I just remember like um, asking dad, oh, who's coming over? And, and I, you know, you'd expect them just to be like the normal kind of, you know, responsive, just like normal family from the church. But it was always like, you know, who's coming over, dad? And, the, and then he would just go, do, 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 you know, do, 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 do. you know, it's like the Adams family would come over. Okay. All these people that, <laughs> that they were just, you know, uh, people that, people that, uh, you know, like weren't necessarily the people that you would typically invite over, um, in the sense that for my dad and mom, inviting people over was actually a ministry. My parents would invite people over. Um, perhaps some of them like wouldn't have a family. Some of them wouldn't have a spouse. Some of them might even like not really have a lot of friends in church. And like, although those situations, meeting people like that in our home continually was a little bit awkward for me, it actually really like showed me how to love people, how to, how to take care of people, how to be hospitable to people, because we're supposed to be hospitable to people as Christians. And so what that showed was really the love of God through my parents. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about loving our neighbor. I want to talk to you about really this concept, which I believe is the heart of, of community, the heart of Christian community. Turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bible today, hopefully you did, um, Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to walk through a story that, that really is like one of the most incredible stories about this idea of loving our neighbor. In verse 25, it says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so here we see an interaction between Jesus and and a lawyer. Now, the lawyer knows the law inside and out, as lawyers do, right? And Jesus is being challenged on a question of, of eternal life. 
How do I get to heaven? How do I get my ticket to heaven? And he points to these two commandments, the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. And in this sense, the lawyer gets the answer right. How many people have like been right, but like based on a technicality? <laughs> That's essentially what's going on here. The lawyer is right in his answer because the love of God is actually the root of, of, our, of our faith. And the love of neighbor is the fruit of our faith. And both of those things are connected deeply to one another. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so here Jesus puts that second commandment as a test of whether we're Christians or not. When you, go to, when you walk up to a tree, um, you know, during the summertime, I'm assuming that's when things grow around here, right? Um, <laughs> when not everything is dead. Um, you walk up to a tree, you grab the fruit and you, you taste it. And that, that taste is the test of whether that tree is a good tree or not. And in that sense, our love for neighbor is the test of our faith. It's how people understand whether we love God or not. And so in verse 28, it says, Jesus, Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. End of conversation. Isn't that awesome? Super simple. Love God and love your neighbor. But in verse 29, we see the lawyer kind of pushing things a little further as lawyers sometimes do. And he, he wanting, it says, he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so there's a, an old Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And it, it actually points to the love of neighbor as a, as a, you know, a, a mandate within the Old Testament law. And so the, um, the question here is, you know, without getting into a motive chase of whether the lawyer really uh, didn't want to know the, the answer to the question or not, um, what we can do is we can understand what the scripture tells us. He wanted to justify himself. So whatever that means, he, 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 he could have been just an awesome guy who just really wanted to know, how do I become a just person? How do, how do I know who my neighbor is? It could have just been an on, honest question. Or it could have been the kind of question that was a little bit more subtle, a little bit more, um, a, a much more of an ulterior motive behind, with it, where he actually wanted to justify not loving his neighbor. And so he pushes Jesus to define his terms. And so Jesus answers this, this man in verse 30. And you'd think that Jesus would answer him with just like a straight definition, right? Just like an abstract, um, here, here is the definition in one sentence of who your neighbor is. But Jesus, instead of doing that, 
tells a story. He tells a story. He's, he, it says, he answered and said, a certain man went down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And now this is a, uh, a reference here to a, a, a very, um, a, a very um, kind of evil place between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho, a place uh, where a lot of catastrophe would take place. A lot, uh, it was actually known for its, um, it, it was known for it, the robberies that would take place on this road. There was actually a fortress that was set up along the road as a guard tower um, in order to protect people because this road was so dangerous from Jerusalem to Jericho. But again, he fell among thieves here. Verse 31, it says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw this man who, was, who had been uh, hurt and wounded and left for dead, he passed by on the other side. So this certain priest here, representing the, the worship system, the whole ceremonial system of Israel, the, 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 the people who you would think would be the most spiritual in Israel, you could say this priest represented the worship team. No offense to the worship team. But the people who are dancing the hardest up here, singing the loudest up here, leading us all in worship, this priest who you would expect good behavior from sees the man and passes by. Now, there is a, a potential here for justification in his actions. In, in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 1, and Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 to 13, there was a law that actually said that if you touch a dead body, if you touch any dead body, you are considered unclean for seven days, and you could not minister in the temple services. And so this priest may have been thinking of that law. He may have actually thought, you know what, if I, if I go near this man... I can't do my job anymore. And so instead of going near him and, and, and dealing with this whole mess of a situation, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pass by. I'm going to continue to do the work of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, you know, I, I don't have time for this situation. I, gotta, I have to be about my father's business here. I don't have time for this. So I'm sure that he concocted in his mind some sort of super spiritual justification for what he did. But verse 33, sorry, verse 32 says, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. And so this Levite is another representation, another symbol of these Israelite people not the symbol necessarily of the temple worship, but as a Levite, he would have been part of the, the, uh, the, the, the tribe that was used in temple worship. 
But in this sense, it doesn't say he was ministering in the temple. So in this sense, he was just a regular Jew. And in this sense, he would, he would have represented the Jewish race. He would, have, he would have represented the moral law, the superiority of Jewish pedigree. But likewise, he thought selfishly and he kept on walking. Again, he could have been thinking of the law in the Old Testament telling him not to touch a dead body. We don't know. But then in verse 33, it says, A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where this man was. And when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion. Now, I want you to understand something about Samaritans. If you don't already know, the Samaritans were actually considered a mongrel race. The, the Samaritans were um, people that had been judged by Yahweh in the Old Testament. They had been judged and judged rightly um, uh, as, as people of northern Israel. In the Old Testament story, all of the northern kings after the split... Uh, between northern and southern Israel, all the northern kings were evil kings. And so because there was like 25 evil kings in northern Israel, all in a row, Yahweh judged northern Israel. And he judged them by sending the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire, into northern Israel and es essentially demolishing the entirety of the, the northern kingdom and forcing the people to intermarry, which was a massive issue because to be Jewish was to be Jewish by blood, Jewish by race. And if you, if you mixed races, you were degrading the Jewish identity. And so a Samaritan would have been considered a degenerate in the eyes of, of the Jews. Someone who, who had fallen under the judgment of Yahweh. Whereas the southern kingdom, they were considered favored by Yahweh. Because they were still allowed to have their, their ethnic identity. And so this Samaritan, this Samaritan came by a person who was considered a pariah. And it says in verse 33 that he had compassion on this man. And this is a profound point here that Jesus is making. That this Samaritan who had really been the, 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 the receptacle of prejudice and racism and judgment is here pouring out mercy and pouring out compassion. And pouring out love for another person. And that, that word compassion here is, is an awesome term. It's the a quality in the very being and heart of God towards his creatures. God is full of compassion all throughout scripture. Jesus was often moved with compassion and, and healed people from compassion. And so 
this, this word compassion, it just means to suffer alongside of someone. To suffer alongside of someone. When we think of the word passion, we think of energetic and excited. But this, the, the etymology of this word is, is connected directly to suffering. And this is why, you know, that film, The Passion of the Christ, it's actually talking about not the energy of the Christ, not the excitement, but the suffering of the Christ. And here, again, we see the Samaritan suffering with another person. So in verse 34, it says, The Samaritan went to him, this man, and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And verse 35 says, On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And so here I want to take a, a little breather in the story, and I want to examine the six things, if you're taking notes, these are the six things that the Samaritan does out of his compassion. Number one, he went to him. He went to him. This means that the Samaritan took initiative. He didn't hesitate. He didn't deliberate. He didn't find out if it was popular. He didn't take a poll and say, hey, everybody, should I be doing this? He didn't look around and see if it was the easiest thing to do. He just knew that it was the right thing to do. This is love. Remember, Jesus is telling a story about loving our neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you initiate. You initiate. It's on you to go to them. It's not on them to come to you. I know a lot of folks who would say, well, you know, if they, um, if they really want to fix this issue between, between us, we're having a relationship issue. And if they really want to fix the relationship issue, they'll come and talk to me. No. If you want to fix the relationship issue, you go to them. If you have a problem, you go to them. You initiate. Love initiates. For God so loved the world that he waited until the world was ready to love him back. Right? That's what that means, right? Yeah. He just waited. And he's like, okay, well, if they're ready, whenever they're ready, then I'll love them. God so loved the world that he initiated his love. He sent his son. He initiated the plan of salvation and redemption. Number two, the Samaritan bandaged the wounds. He took it upon himself to heal this man. He didn't pass the buck. He didn't say, you know... I'm not a professional. Um, there are professionals here. Uh, well, not here, but somewhere. And I just can't, 
I can't take responsibility for this because, you know, I just don't, you know, the insurance company will find out and then, you know, it's just, it's, it'll be a massive problem with uh, trying to, you know, solve the issue and I just don't know what I'm doing and so I can't be bothered. I just, you know, I'm going to go to you. I'm just going to pat you on the head, you know, I'm going to fix your hair a little bit while you're dying. No, he, he went to the person, he took it upon himself, and he did the best that he could. You know, the best that you can is good enough. You don't have to be a professional. You don't have, we live in a society that says that you have to be an expert in order to do something. That's foolish. My mom wasn't an expert cook. God knows that, okay? Are you recording this? No, okay. You just edit that out of the tape, right? She was terrible. Um, atrocious. I'm just saying this because you're not recording it, so. Um, <laughs> my mom was, is, is a wonderful woman, and she was a stay-at-home mom. And she worked, her, her, she worked uh, so hard to raise our family but she wasn't a professional chef, but she made meals for us every single day. Does that make sense? You don't have to be, I mean, I'm still here, right? Like I haven't died yet of any sort of food poisoning from my mother. You don't have to be a professional to help people. So get that, get that out, of your, out of your mind. You can pray for someone without being the pastor. Did you know that? You can visit someone who's sick in the hospital without being the pastor. Did you know that? Pastor Jerry, would you like more people to help you with that? <laughs> Most pastors would, actually. But honestly, ministering to each other's needs, this is, this is a good thing. And Getting dirty, getting our hands dirty in each other's lives, this is a good thing. I can imagine as the wounds were being wrapped, blood was, was coming out of the wounds onto this man's clothing, onto his hands. I remember witnessing an accident when a woman was, was hit, struck by a car and I got out of my, my car and I ran up to her. I was actually on my way to church uh, to lead worship that morning. And I, I remember just grabbing her and putting my hand under her head and just praying over her and waiting for the, the ambulance to show up. And when they did, I removed my hand and, and it was covered in blood. But, you know, this, this, is, this is what it's about here. Some people might be shocked at the sight of blood. They, they might not want to get their hands dirty in another person's life. This is what community is. Don't be afraid of these things. Number three. It says he poured oil and wine on this man's wounds. Oil was uh, used in the ancient world to soothe. The, the wound, and um, it's here um, symbolically a symbol of the Holy Spirit's ministry in a person's life. 
when we minister to people, we actually don't do all the work. That's another thing <laughs> that I want to encourage you in. Don't think that you have to do it all. The truth is, is that we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. I said this yesterday to the leaders. God does the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit does the work that we cannot do. He does the work of transformation. And in that sense, the oil here is, is again, symbolic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The wine was used in the, Old, uh, in the Old Testament as an antiseptic. And so they would pour it on the wounds and it would, it would actually serve to disinfect the wounds. And here it speaks of, in my opinion, the lifeblood of the new covenant of Christ. Where we, we meet our, our broken people on the road as we make progress in the, in the Christian life. And we offer them the blood of Christ that brings them forgiveness and the remission of sins and justification. And, we, and then we offer them the newness of life that's found in the Holy Spirit through sanctification, the power of the Christian life through regeneration. And these are the things that we have to actually have to major in as Christians, that as we're ministering to each other, we're, we're ministers one to another, but our ministry is a spiritual ministry. I know this was a natural story, but it actually has supernatural implications. And so, again, focusing our, ourselves on the gospel of Jesus, how do we take the gospel and apply it to our, our neighbor's lives. Is that what we're offering people? Or is, are the things that we offer people just like self-help things? Kind of cute, trite phrases. Hope, hope you get better. Praying for you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to saying those things. But we actually have to understand that the ministry that we have to one another is a Christian ministry. We, offer, we don't offer people silver and gold. What we offer to people is Jesus. The person who can set them free from sin. The person who can offer them eternal life. What we offer people is a profound, radical transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I have to offer you. That's what we have to offer each other. We should always remember that the gospel is the foundation for all of our ministry. And I understand that there are awesome things that are above and beyond the gospel. We're going to get into them, but the gospel is actually the thing that heals people. What doesn't heal people is self-help. I don't want to step on any toes, but what doesn't heal people, it honestly, is modern psychology. 
That's not what we're here to do. We're not, we're not modern psychologists. What we are are ancient Christians. <laughs> that's what changes, that's what changed the world. Before the world found out about the marvels of therapy, <laughs> the world had Jesus 2,000 years ago. And if it was good enough to change and transform the world and turn it upside down 2,000 years ago, it is still good enough in, in 2020 to change and transform this community here in Winnipeg. Can I get an amen? Come on, an American amen. amen. There we go. That's so good. <laughs> All right, number, uh, I think we are on number four here. It says, he set him on his own animal. He set him on his own animal. And here this speaks to the support that we have in community, being upheld by the strength of each other. Galatians chapter 2 verses, sorry, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It also means to go all the way with someone. He put him on his, his, he put him in his vehicle and he drove him to the inn. And in that sense, this speaks of the commitment required for community. You know, there's a commitment required for community. There's a commitment required for love. When we say our vows to one another, we say, till death do us part. Well, that's a commitment, is it not? And that speaks of the love that, that two people are supposed to have for each other in the covenant of marriage. Well, putting, the, putting him on his vehicle, on his donkey, that was such a massive commitment. That was saying, I'm going to walk this thing through all the way. In community, that's what we should be doing with each other. We should be in it for the long haul. Unfortunately, sometimes in Christian community, I've discovered that friendship can be fickle. And it should not be that way. In Christian community, we should be ex examples for the world of how we stay together through love. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, we can do this. But we've committed to one another. And that commitment to one another, it, 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 it holds things together. It holds our relationships together and our friendships. Number five, it says he brought him to an inn. He brought him to an inn. The inn in this story is comparable to a hospital where people uh, would take a, a sick man in the ancient world. They would take this place, to, the, take a man to this place, and this place would be an, uh, a place of shelter, a place of security and safety, a place where this man could get healed and stay. You know, it's interesting that Christianity is the religion that founded hospitals. We have free healthcare in Canada. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Those tax dollars getting higher and higher. Isn't that awesome too? Yes. Okay, I'm kidding. 
Um, but, <laughs> but we pay for everybody's health care. Isn't that interesting? You know that's a Christian idea? That's part of the reason why Canada is a Christian nation. Universal health care, that, that never came into the mind of anybody prior to Christianity. Taking people, like, like even, even a hospital itself. In the ancient world, if you didn't have the money in your family to take care of, to call the doctor in, you were out of luck. But actually, it was the church that established the hospital. The hospital came from the insistence of the church, the insistence of Christianity on the virtue of hospitality. Taking him to the inn. Now, the inn here is speaking again of a place of safety. And that's really what our communities should be. This church, I believe, this church, Pastor Jerry, is a place of safety. I believe this is a place of security. I believe this, this is a place, this is a place that God has ordained to be a place of shelter. I noticed on your, on your logo, it said repair, rejuvenation. What was the third one? Refuge, repair, and rejuvenation. We should be taking people into the inn. You should be inviting your friends to this inn. In going out and finding the broken. Finding the, the, the people who have been maimed by sin. By evil. By the world and the flesh and the devil. And bringing them into a place of safety and security. A place of refuge, rejuvenation, and repair. That is this house. That's an awesome thing. And lastly, it just says he took care of him. He took care of him. What does this mean? It means that literally he said, whatever the cost is for this man's bill, I will pay for it. In other words, he did everything that he could to help this person. This is love. To do everything that you can to help another person. Listen, that person could have been anybody. Do you realize that? The Samaritan walking down the street, seeing this man, could have said that, you know, that could have been a, a criminal. He could be somebody who's, who, who's you know what? He could have deserved that. Right? Think of the thoughts that would have been going through that Samaritan's mind. Some of us think that way, don't we? I do. <laughs> I'll confess. Sometimes when I see a homeless person, I sometimes think to myself, you know, all the statistics start going through my mind. You know, 70% of homeless people are um, addicted to drugs. You know, and that's why they're, that's why they're not functional. That's why they get kicked out of the house and that's why they're on the street. And so, yeah, you deserve that. That's how I, that's how my brain sometimes goes there. And that's easy to do because in our society, we live in a world where you kind of have to earn your way, don't you? It's based on merit. 
social status is I earned this position. Thank you very much. We work our way up the corporate ladder. We earn our way up the corporate ladder. And listen, I'm not actually bashing hard work. Hard work is good work. And if you work hard, you deserve your paycheck. And you deserve what you have. But remember, this is a story of compassion and love. This is a story of a man who sees another man in need. And a man who doesn't judge that man. Remember, this, this person could not repay the Samaritan. And in our communities, if we begin to judge other people as Christians, and we begin to look at them and say, you know what? They don't deserve to hang out with me. Because, you know, they didn't show up at prayer. Hmm. You know, they haven't... I've been checking their attendance at the small group. And, um, yeah, they haven't been to small group in a month. So, no, I'm not going to go visit them. You know, we can begin to, like, think these thoughts about people. Instead of just saying, hold on. No, 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 no. This is a ministry. This is for me to another person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, it says, there should, have, there should be no schism in the body of Christ, but that the members of it should have the same care for one another. And so in verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And this is an interesting point because it turns out that Jesus asks the question, that the lawyer asked to him. He asks the same question. And the answer to that question at the end of this story is this. Everyone that you meet is your neighbor. Especially the person in need. That is the answer to this story. Every single person that you meet on the street... Anywhere you go, that person is your neighbor. And because they are your neighbor, you are to love them. Because you have, you have to understand, this was a radical idea. The Jews only thought that they were to love each other as neighbors. They weren't thinking, oh yeah, we're supposed to love the Samaritans too. This is an interesting story of love as well because Jesus is telling the story of love from a sympathetic view to the Samaritan. Jesus is loving the Samaritan. Really quickly, I, I want to give you a definition of love from St. Thomas Aquinas, who's considered the greatest theologian of the last 2,000 years. St. Thomas says this, to love a person is to will the good of another. To love is to will the good of another. We're not talking about sentimentalism here. We're not talking about the love of love. We're talking about the love of another person. And when you love someone, you will the good for them. You want the good for them. And so in verse 37, Jesus says to this man, this lawyer, he says, go 
and do likewise. Go and do likewise. There's no method here. There's no method here. You know, I think there's, <laughs> there's something in us that wants some sort of like sophisticated formula for things. Especially, you know, some of us who love like, you know, Excel spreadsheets. How many people love a good old Excel spreadsheet? Oh, yes, I know you. Come up to the front. We're going to pray for you. Because I just sensed the Holy Spirit telling me, you had some demons going on in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those Excel spreadsheets need to go back to hell where they came from. You're not recording this, right? Okay. You're allowed to say that if it's in a religious context, okay? H-E double hockey sticks. All right, so, the, you know, we want many times to have a, a sophisticated formula. We want to be shown like, okay, so what's the program? What's the program, you know, for small group? What's the program for small group? You know, when, when, when does it start? Okay, starts at seven. Okay, great, on the dot, right? Okay, seven, and then we'll just like talk for 10 minutes, great. And then we'll just like uh, have coffee for another five minutes, and then we'll talk about uh, how's everybody doing for five minutes. And then we, we plan every single little thing that we do. That's not, that's not family life. Come on. What family is like that other than the Von Trapp family? <clears throat> Who are like Nazis, essentially, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying so many things this morning. Dear Lord. But <laughs> come on, that's not family life. You don't run your family that way. Okay, kids, I want you to uh, say hi to me for five minutes. Then I want you to um, say hi to your mother for uh, two minutes. And then uh, I want you to go outside for 10 minutes. And then I want you, really? What parent would do that? Like that, that who's actually sane, right? <laughs> Some insane parents are like, I would. Okay, but, but hear me out here. What we need to do is rethink how we do community. That's what I think. I think we need to radically change the way we do community. I think we need to radically change the way our perspective works about things. It's about people, it's not about programs. The program serves the person. The formula, if it does exist, is for the person. Not the person for the formula. And we get it wrong when we miss that. And we mistake. See, this is the whole point. This is what the lawyer was doing. The lawyer was the person who was loving the Excel spreadsheet <laughs> and not what the Excel spreadsheet was for. There's nothing wrong with Excel spreadsheets, by the way, sir. Um, <laughs> there might be something wrong with you, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But again, we have to, we, what we have to do is, what we're doing is we're applying a principle. We're applying a principle. And the beautiful thing about a principle is that it, it's, three, it's, it's completely uh, uh, three-dimensional. It, it goes in every single direction. A principle can be applied to anything, anywhere, anytime. That's the beautiful thing about a principle. And so the question here is, do you, do you want help? Yeah, so does your neighbor. Do you, do you want encouragement as a person? Yeah, so does your neighbor. Do you want prosperity? 
so does your neighbor. Every single thing that you want for your life, your neighbor wants for their lives. I mean, in a good way, right? If you collect postage stamps, I'm sure your neighbor doesn't want that. Okay. Some people are into that. It's weird. So we'll pray for you too. You can come over here. Can I get the, the worship team to come up? You know, this is, again, this is a story about the heart of community. This is the, a story about the heartbeat of community. You know, the heart is a very simple organ. All it does, check this out. All the heart does, check this out. It pumps blood. That's all it does. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Mind blown, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you can be brain dead and still alive because your heart keeps pumping that blood. The heart is, is the most important thing about you. Love is the most important thing about us as Christians. A love for one another. And you know, I will say this. I have, <laughs> I've probably gone like to the third degree on some folks here, you know, press, pressing this, this, this point. Some of us might feel overwhelmed here. How, how can I do this? I don't feel a love for my neighbor. I don't always feel a love for my neighbor. Like I always want to do what this good Samaritan did. And you know what? You're right. You can't do anything of what I was talking about for the last 30 minutes without the grace of Jesus. The truth about this story is that Jesus in a meta-narrative is actually speaking about himself. Jesus in a paradoxical sense was the good Samaritan and he saw you on the road and he saw how broken you were. And he saw how much you needed his help. He saw that you were half dead in trespasses and in sins. He saw that you were broken. He saw that you couldn't do it on your own. And he came. And he initiated. And he bandaged you up. And he helped you where you were helpless and he died for you on the cross and he justified you and he sanctifies you and he's going to glorify you and he's done everything for you so that you lack no good thing. He loves you. He's the Samaritan. We're the broken person. And when we get a revelation of God's love for us, we actually get a revelation of how to love other people. You see, it's only when you have received the love of Jesus that you can show the love of Jesus to your neighbor. I want you to stand this morning. It's the grace of God in Christ Jesus that enables us to love one another. 
we love him because he first loved us. The command of Christ is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I said with God, all things are possible. With the grace of God, all things are possible. So what you need is the grace of God in your life. You need to receive that grace from the Holy Spirit this morning. And if that's you this morning, I want you to respond by praying with me right now. Say, Lord, I need your grace. Repeat after me. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I'm dependent upon you. I know that I can't love my neighbor as myself without your strength enabling me and empowering me to do so. So Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and strengthen me. Strengthen my heart. Give me the love for others that you have for me. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Maybe that was the first time you prayed something like that. Maybe as our guest today, or maybe you've been coming for the last few weeks and you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing and you just feel a, a tugging on your heart, I'll just tell you that's the Holy Spirit. We have something for you. If you earnestly prayed that, uh, Piper is over to my right. She's at the cross there. There's a little book and a little New Testament we have. It's about uh, your, your next steps with Jesus. If that is you this morning, at the end of the gathering, when people are making their exit, just walk over to Piper and say, hey, can I, can I have that book? She'd gladly just put it in your hand. And we just want to follow up with you. I love, I love what you said about the Excel, Excel spreadsheet thing. And my, one of my life groups, we do too. I do one with young adults on Monday night. And then uh, on Saturday nights, we do one with families. And both those, we have some openings. Uh, I would love to see you, love to be a part of it. But it's funny because we have some Excel spreadsheets in our, in our life groups. It's like, when are we going to get into it? And when the pastor shows up, it's like, okay, let's open up the Bible. And yet, you know, there are those times where my wife and I go, we don't want to do that. We just want to hang. And that's part of doing life together. I've met with the life group leaders this week. We talked about the life group leaders being that first line of pastoral care. You know, when something happens, they're the first to know. It gets filtered down. People are visiting. People are looking after each other. That's the beauty of community. And I just want to, I, I can't enforce it more. You heard it beautifully now. Take some time. And if you've never signed up for a life group, just do it and see what happens. That's my challenge to you. If you prayed that prayer, please go see Piper. We have a gift for you. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. If you want a blessing before you leave, here it is, people. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. May the love of God be reflected in your hands. 
May the wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And may the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and in seeing believe. Be blessed. Now go and live the church. We'll see you next week. Amen.